You're listening to Revelation, God Wins, from Coram Deo Church, a gospel-centered missional church community in Omaha, Nebraska. For more information, visit cdomaha.com. Today's scripture is from Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, we begin this morning a series on the book of Revelation. So before we do that, uh, let me let you know about a couple things. First of all, um, we put together a little booklet uh, that sort of is an introduction to the book of Revelation. It's about 15 pages. It just gives you background information. Uh, There's all, as you know, all kinds of goofy opinions about Revelation. And so this helps you sort out like, what do I need to know? How do I make sense of all the different ways people understand this book? It just covers a lot of stuff that I'm not going to cover as we preach through it. And so these are available at the resource table this morning. Uh, they're a dollar piece just to cover the cost that we had to put into producing them. And uh, if you want one, you can get one. Um, we'd prefer to have one per household. So if you're a married couple, uh, one for the both of you. And you can get extras if you know people that would be interested and you want to get one for them. That's fine. We just want to make sure there's enough to go around. So that's available this morning. It'll help you just set the, the stage for the book of Revelation. Uh, the second thing I want to do is a quick financial update since the month of February is behind us, just to let you know where we're at. We try to just keep this in front of you every month as far as where we're at and where we're going. So this is for those of you that this is your church and you're a Christian and you care about how we're doing financially. If this isn't your church, it's not for you. Don't worry. We don't want your money. All right. Uh, we want you to know Jesus. But as you remember, the month of January, we needed $43,000 as far as our budgeted goal. We were actually ahead of that for January, so we started off the year in a good place. Uh, February, we needed 46000 for budget, and we brought in 45384 So really close, uh, not quite there, but we were about $600 off. I, I bring that before you so that you know and can continue to be praying and playing the part that you need to play. As you see, for the rest of the year, beginning in March, uh, our goal every month is $49,500. That's what we need to do the things that God's called us to do in the city. And so be praying and, and participating uh, as you will, as this is your church and as you're involved in the mission here. So just by way of information, I wanted you to know that. Now, let's begin. Before we actually begin to progress through and make our way through the book of Revelation, uh, we have a little bit of work to do to set the stage Uh, Revelation is undoubtedly, as Nick said, one of the most misunderstood, mistaught, misapplied books of the Bible. If you go home and do a Google search, you will find literally thousands of wackos who all have websites, calendars, event charts of how everything's going to play out at the end of the world. And uh, so my goal in preaching through this book is largely to cut through the fog and to help you have a, a common sense, wise thoughtful estimation and approach to the book of Revelation, because there's a lot of, honestly, just foolishness 
out there about this book. And so, in order to get us on the right track, we need to start by confronting a misunderstanding of the Bible that many of you have, perhaps consciously, perhaps unconsciously. Uh, How many of you have heard a pastor, a a Bible teacher, a a spiritual leader of some type uh, use the analogy that the Bible is like an owner's manual, right? It's a common way of talking about it. The idea is, look, God is the creator. God's the designer of the world. He's the one that invented human beings. And so he knows how things ought to run. And he gave us the owner's manual. It's called the Bible. And so if you have questions about what life is about, what you're supposed to do, how things are supposed to work, you consult the owner's manual because after all, it's written by the designer. Right? You guys heard this analogy? Here's why I don't like it. How often do you actually consult the owner's manual for anything that you own? Right? Has it, have any of your lives been deeply shaped by an owner's manual? No. The only time you go to the owner's manual is when. Something is broke and you can't figure it out. You need to understand how to fix it. Uh, this is exactly why most of you haven't read Revelation. Or if you have, have tried to read it as fast as you can and not ask too many questions because you have an owner's manual view of the Bible. In other words, the Bible is primarily a book of information. And so because you don't see a need for the information that's in Revelation, it sort of stays in the glove box, right? Now, if there's a zombie apocalypse, if there's nuclear holocaust, then I might pull it out and be searching because maybe it says something about that stuff. Right? Maybe there's some information that's pertinent to that. But otherwise, I'm not really going to care. I'm not really going to look at the book of Revelation. What I want to convince you of this morning is quite simple. The book of Revelation is not about information. It's about formation. I want to help you see the book of Revelation is not primarily about information. It's about formation. Uh, my son Parker, my oldest son, turned 12 last month, and so um, every year on his birthday, uh, we try to do some kind of like a father-son retreat or getaway, just spend some time, just the two of us. We, you know, eat good food, and we talk about man stuff, and we do man things like shooting guns and that kind of stuff, and, and just try to spend some time just uh, one-on-one together and investing in my relationship with him. And so we did that a couple weeks ago, and we're sitting down. One of the things I do is just to use that time to talk about, you know, big picture stuff, and life. And so we were sitting across the table from each other. I got out a notebook and a pen. And I said, hey, Parker, so you're turning 12 today. That means you probably got six years, you know, living in the house with your mom and I. And then, you know, for all intents and purposes, you're kind of on your own. Um, we're not going to kick you out, but we might. <laughs> so um, when you're 18, 19, 20, 21... Tell me, Parker, what kind of a man do you want to be? And then I just wrote down the things he said. Now, one of our disciplines with Parker has been to have him read through the Bible every year. He's been doing that since he was six years old. And last year, he just read the book of Proverbs once a month, every month. Okay, so this kid has a lot of Bible in his head. And and his answers to that question, man, were great answers. They were, man, okay, well, here's the kind of man I want to be. I want to be... God-fearing, I'll be wise, I want to be responsible, I want to be a good leader, I want to provide for and protect my family, I want to love Jesus and worship. I mean, just give me a great list of traits and character traits that he wanted to define him as a man. Man, 
right? Incidentally, I always tell guys, if you want to be an elder or church planner, first requirement is you have to know your Bible at least as well as my 12-year-old, all right? So some of you guys got a little work to do. We try to keep, you know, keep the, uh, the pipeline going behind you so you feel a sense of pressure. So um, as we had that list of things that he gave me, then I said, okay, well, what are we going to do between now and then to make sure that that's where you end up? Now, why did I have that conversation? Why am I doing that exercise with my son? Uh, the answer is because I'm trying to turn information into formation. Right? All the biblical information and data that he has in his head doesn't do a whole lot of good unless it shapes a vision of the kind of person he wants to become and begins to form him into that kind of a person. I'm trying to lay out before him a vision. Who do you want to be? And then how do we stay on that trajectory? How do we, what do we do now to make sure that that's actually the result? See, all of us live in pursuit of something. Uh, all of us have some desired future, some vision of the future, some kind of person we want to be. And that is, in many ways, what drives us and animates us. Uh, the way that philosophers explain it is to say that human beings are teleological creatures. Uh, the Greek word telos in Greek philosophy is a word that meant end or goal or purpose. And so when we say human beings are teleological, we mean all of us are oriented towards some end. We live for something. We've bought into some vision of the good life. And our desires are formed by that, and what we do is driven by that. In other words, what you know is not nearly as important as what you want. In the year 2007, which is the most recent year that I could find statistics for, U.S. companies spent $279 billion on advertising. Now, what is all that money being spent on? Are those advertisements primarily dispensing information? No. They're creating an impression. They're creating a feeling. Advertisers aren't selling you a product. They're selling you some vision of the good life. Some desired future. They're forming your desires. And they consider $279 billion a wise investment. Why? Because it works. They wouldn't spend money on it if it didn't. We are teleological creatures and we are oriented toward what we desire, what we want, what we see as a desirable future. And if advertisers can shape what we desire, they they get us. What you know about a product doesn't matter. What matters is whether you want it. Now, those two things aren't disconnected. Sometimes you want something because you find out about it and determine that's good, right? That seems to fit some desires I have. But advertisers aren't primarily creating or dispensing information. They're primarily forming your desires. 
James K.A. Smith is a professor of philosophy at Calvin College up in Michigan. Uh, Listen to how he describes what it is that animates us and motivates us as humans. Rather than being pushed by beliefs, we are pulled by a telos that we desire. An affective, sensible, even aesthetic picture of what the good life looks like. A vision of the good life captures our hearts and imaginations, not by providing a set of rules or ideas, but by painting a picture of what it looks like for us to flourish and live well. Understanding that is the key to understanding the book of Revelation. Revelation is not primarily about information. It's primarily about formation. It's giving you an aesthetic picture of what the good life looks like. It is, in a sense, the Hollywood trailer for the feature film of God's kingdom. God's primary goal in Revelation is not to dispense information about the end of the world. Rather, His primary goal is to give us a vision of the future that will shape our living in the present. And so that's the phrase that I want to sort of lock into your mind this morning. Uh, Revelation is a vision of the future to shape our living in the present. That's the point of this book of the Bible. And so what I want to do this morning is just to unpack the various features of that definition to help you enter into your study and your reading of the book of Revelation wisely and appropriately. Revelation is, first of all, a vision. Open your Bibles with me if you have them to Revelation chapter 1, the passage that we just heard read, the very beginning verses of this book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, they will be projected on the screen behind me as I read them. Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. I want you to notice in this short introduction the emphasis on seeing and the emphasis on hearing. Revelation should make way more sense to you and I than it has to any generation of Christians in history, and here's why. Because of the influence of movies in our lives. Why are movies such a dominant part of our cultural landscape? Why do we find them so compelling, so engaging? Quite simply because they capture our imagination, right? They use sound and images and visual effects to to pull us into a story. They they captivate our imagination on multiple levels. And when they're made well, movies do something to us, don't they? Uh, One of the best made, perhaps um, most successful movies in the last few years is 
uh, James Cameron's film Avatar. About a year ago, CNN uh, ran a story about people experiencing withdrawals from viewing Avatar. Listen, here's how the story reads. James Cameron's completely immersive spectacle Avatar may have been a little too real for some fans who say they've experienced depression and suicidal thoughts after seeing the film because they long to enjoy the beauty of the alien world Pandora. A fan forum thread has received more than 1,000 posts from people experiencing depression and from fans trying to help them cope. I can understand why it made people depressed, forum administrator Philippe Bagdasarian said. The movie was so beautiful and it showed something we don't have here on earth. I think people saw we could be living in a completely different world and that caused them to be depressed. James Cameron created a vision of the future that affected people's living in the present. He created a world that was compelling and that made this world seem trivial by comparison. That's exactly the goal of the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation is much like a screenplay. It is telling a story. It is painting a vision. It is trying to catch you up in a symbolic world. And so it is a book that is to be seen and felt and heard, not just read. This aesthetic aspect of Revelation is crucial because... It means we have to pay attention to the importance of symbols in this book. What is a symbol? A symbol is a physical, tangible artifact that stands for or represents something greater, often something intangible. So the, best, the easiest example for us to make sense of is a flag, the American flag, for example. What is the American flag? It is a piece of cloth with some colors on it. Right? I mean, physically, that's what it is. It's a piece of cloth. Or is it? That flag represents a nation, a set of values, a shared history. And so listen, if you burn one, you're not just burning a piece of cloth. Right? You're liable to start a riot because people perceive that what you're actually doing is trashing a whole way of life, a whole set of values, a whole set of culture and assumptions. That's how a symbol works. It's something tangible and physical that represents something greater. How many of you guys saw the movie Inception? One, perhaps, I think four Academy Awards last Sunday night. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's a rather hard film to describe because the premise of the movie is that it takes place inside people's dreams. And so at various times in the movie, you're unsure whether what you're watching is reality or a dream sequence. And not only are you as the viewer unsure of that, but the characters in the movie themselves are often unsure of that. And so in the film, uh, the lead character... 
carries around with him a totem. A spinning top that he spins on a table. And if he's in reality, the totem will fall over after a few seconds because of gravity. But if he's in a dream, that thing will keep on spinning indefinitely. And that's how he discerns whether he's in reality or in a dream. That totem is not just a piece of set dressing. It is a symbol that plays a function in the plot line of the movie. It stands for something. It symbolizes reality. So every time you see a character spinning that totem, you know they're trying to figure out if what they're experiencing is real or not. In fact, the movie ends with a close-up shot of the totem spinning. And so it leaves you wondering, is what I just saw reality or is it another dream sequence? That's how a symbol works. It signifies, it stands for something bigger. Now, the language of the book of Revelation is highly symbolic. The book is full of images that have a deeper meaning. It's full of tangible things that stand for greater, less tangible realities. And so, the book is more complex than just what lies on the surface. Let me give you one example. If you have a Bible, flip over to the last chapter of Revelation Chapter 22. The very last chapter of Revelation is describing the new heavens and the new earth. The new Jerusalem, this new city that God is bringing out of heaven. Revelation 22 verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, is this merely describing the horticulture of heaven? Is this God's landscape project for His new city? When is the last place in the Bible you remember seeing the tree of life? Genesis 3. The tree of life was present in the Garden of Eden, and when Adam and Eve sinned, God expelled them from the garden, and the reason he gives in Genesis 3 is, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. Now here, in the very last chapter of the Bible, the tree of life shows up again. The tree of life in Revelation 22 is more than a tree. It's a symbol for the presence of God, for the restoration of the Garden of Eden, for things being put back to the way God designed them to be. It's a symbol that speaks of fellowship with God, presence with God, the reconciliation of humanity to the presence of God. If you miss that symbol... You missed the point. The reason I want to point this out to you in in just this one of many examples is that there are people out there who will tell you that the way you need to read Revelation is to take every word of Revelation literally. And what I want to say to those people is, does Jesus literally have a sword coming out of his mouth? That seems like it would hurt. 
What do you mean by literally? Is Satan literally a dragon with seven heads and ten horns? Are the followers of the Antichrist literally going to have 666 written on their foreheads? That would seem pretty obvious to tell who they were. Why would we need it written down? We read Revelation in a common sense way according to the kind of literature that it is. And because it is visionary literature, because it is apocalyptic prophecy, we read it expecting imagery and symbolism and a depth of meaning that oftentimes will not lie right on the surface of the words. In other words, we read this book the same way you watch a movie. Right? When you watch a movie... Almost subconsciously, you don't even have to think about it because you're, you know, man, there's layers to this story. Right? There's, there's a director behind this who's trying to tell a story and capture certain themes and make me think about certain things. Now, can you watch a movie and miss the symbolism? Well, sure you can. People do it all the time. But those people feel a little bit naive when they listen to an interview on NPR with the director and he's saying, well, yeah, I was trying to tell a story that would play with our concept of reality. And they're going, oh, I didn't even think about that. I thought it was some cool visual effects. We read Revelation in light of the fact that it is a vision. It is prophetic, apocalyptic literature. And as such, we expect that it is painting for us, ushering us into a symbolic world. And so we pay attention to symbol, to image, to metaphor, to all the layers of meaning that are appropriately here. So Revelation is a vision, but but it's a vision of the future. When I say future, I'm not speaking chronologically, but eschatologically, all right? Eschaton is a word in Greek that means last or final. I paid good money to learn Greek. You're getting all of it this morning. All right? Eschatology, when we speak of eschatology, we're talking about last things or final things. But here's the mistake many people make with Revelation. They assume that it's talking about things that are chronologically in the future. It's not. Some of the things in Revelation are certainly chronologically yet in the future. But when Revelation is a vision of the future, when it's talking about the end or the last things, it's talking about right now. It's speaking eschatologically, not chronologically. Let me uh, show you real quickly. If you have a Bible, flip back to the left to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews is just a few books left in your New Testament. It's crucial that you see this and understand the Bible's own frame of reference. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. What is the writer of Hebrews considered to be these last days? The time when he's writing. The days since God has sent his son into the world. Likewise, Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 is talking about when the Israelites came out of Egypt. And and he says in verse 11 
these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Okay, We are living right now in the last days. And when I say that, don't think of a guy like walking around with a sign saying the end is near. I don't mean it like that. I mean that since Christ came, we're in the final era, what the Bible considers the last days. It's speaking eschatologically. See, when, when Jesus was alive, the view of history that most people had was that there was the current age, and that age would come to an end, and then there would be the future age that would come after that. What Jesus tells us, what the writer of Hebrews tells us, what the Apostle Paul tells us, is that actually, in God's providence, those ages overlap. The new era, the end of the age, starts now. There's an overlap of ages. There's this old world that is passing away. There's a new world, a new kingdom that has been inaugurated by Jesus that will last into eternity. And right now, we live in the time when those two overlap. So we live in a fallen world, a broken world, a world that's ravaged by sin. But we also, if we are in Christ, are citizens of His kingdom. We are a part of His renewal. We are experiencing a destiny of new heavens, new earth. New kingdom. Those things overlap. So Revelation is talking about the future, but it's also talking about right now. Here's how uh, Greg Beale explains it in his commentary on Revelation. Listen. Churches are to read and reread Revelation in their assembly so that they may continually be reminded of God's real new world which stands in opposition to the old fallen system in which they presently live. Their home is not in this old world, but in the new world. So you've got to see Revelation is about your life right now. It's about what does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? It's about what does it mean to live defined by the values of new heavens, new earth, new creation, and not defined by the values of old fallen creation. Revelation is the end, it's the completion of the storyline of redemptive history. It's it's the summing up of all things. It's it's the final piece of the story. Okay, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1. In the end, Jesus will reign as Lord over the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 22. In the meantime, in between, God is gathering a people from, for His glory from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's the story that we're a part of. So as you read Revelation, you shouldn't be asking, when is this going to take place? Rather, you should be asking, how does this make sense of the world right now? How does this make sense of reality as I currently experience it? Revelation is a vision of the future, but that future includes right now. Revelation is a vision of the future to shape our living in the present. This gets us back to where we began, that that the book of Revelation is not about information, it is about formation. It's intended to shape how we live right now in the present. Look again with me at Revelation 1. Verse 3. 
Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. So so notice there's a progression of three things. There's a reading or a teaching or a proclamation of this. There is the hearing of it. And then there is the keeping of it. The living in light of it. The living in obedience or in light of what it is that's been heard and proclaimed. In other words, you are to be formed by this story. This is to define reality. You are to live your life in light of the truth that Revelation is telling you. Here's why this matters. You're going to get up and go to work tomorrow. And it's going to feel a lot like last Monday when you got up and went to work. Or the 12 Mondays before that when you got up and went to work. And so what tends to happen is in your life and my life, our vision gets narrowed and and we get very present tense in our orientation. And so we're sort of just thinking about how do I get through this week? How do I get through this month? How do I get through this season of my life? What am I supposed to be doing right now today, this week? And we become very nearsighted in our thinking about things. And we lose a sense of how does my little ordinary life fit into the bigger scheme of things? Why does what I'm doing matter that much in light of everything else that's going on in the world? Revelation is about you understanding and interpreting your story in light of the bigger story of God's redemption of all things, of God's redeeming of all of history, the story that He is writing to gather a people for Himself and redeem what was broken in the fall. Revelation is about you finding your story's significance in light of that bigger story. And listen, you, you, you've got to have this. Let me give you some examples of why it matters. Husbands, let's say you're a husband and you tend to be short with your wife and kids, especially when things are stressful at work, you you just kind of get real focused and you tend to not have time for things, you tend to be irritable. Why does it matter that you see that, that you repent of that, that your heart is softened toward that, that you begin to walk in repentance and seek that that behavior would be transformed and changed? Why does that matter? Because you are a part of a cosmic conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And listen, Satan is looking for every opportunity to chalk up a victory, to discourage you, to defeat you, to hinder the progress of the kingdom of God. If you harden your heart, if you're unwilling to repent, that's a victory for him. He gets you a little more down the road of selfishness, self-absorption, pride, and unrepentance. Or maybe Satan uses that to give your kids 12 years from now a reason to not have a warm heart toward Jesus because they experience you as an unloving father. Or maybe Satan gets a foothold in your wife's life to cause her to not have hope and joy because it's hard to live with you. 
Do you see, see, see why you have to understand the bigness of the story that you live? Your life is about something greater. A lot of you guys are young moms. And so you are chasing toddlers and changing diapers all day. And sometimes you want to pull your hair out because it feels like that's all you do with your life. Right? I change diapers. That's my role in the world is diaper changer. How do I find meaning and significance in that just monotony of day in, day out? That's a lot of what I do. Well, listen, Mom, here's what gives that significance. The book of Revelation. Your children are human beings. And do you know what that means? They're eternal. They're going to live forever. They're going to one day come before the king and judge of the universe. That's what gives significance to what you do. That's why you invest the time and the work and the patience of the monotony of those years is because, man, you're shaping people who are going to be worshipers of King Jesus. Many of you are single. And you live in a culture that basically says, look, live for yourself. So you do whatever brings joy, happiness, pleasure, satisfaction. You live in a culture that's very sexually permissive and promiscuous. Why should you resist that? Why should you fight to be sexually pure and obedient to the sexual ethics that God's given in the Bible? Why? Because you're headed to a city where righteousness dwells. A city that's lit by the holiness and glory of God. You're headed for a city where there's going to be no impurity, no sin, nothing that tarnishes your being, nothing that tarnishes the glory of God. And guess what? Your life now is preparation for that. That's why. Not just because it's the right thing to do. But because you're swept up in your future, the story you're living is about so much more than you. You've got to begin to understand your life and your existence in light of the great sweeping narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Revelation is meant to shape your living in the present. You're caught up in a cosmic story. And look, the moral of the story, the point of the whole thing is the title of this series. God wins. That's where everything's headed. Everything's headed toward God wins. God gets glory. God's ways are vindicated. God's people are honored and blessed. God already has won. That's the story that makes sense of reality. And so look, you can live in obedience to God who has won, or you can live in rebellion against God. But either way, it doesn't change the story. If you've studied World War II history, you know 
that when the Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy and were successful, even though there was a heavy cost of life and heavy casualties, the invasion of Normandy was the turning point of the war. Everyone knew it's only a matter of time. That was the defining battle in the war on the European front. But, VE Day, the day that the Axis powers actually signed the surrender document, was almost a year after the Battle of Normandy. Listen, spiritually speaking, the Battle of Normandy took place when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. The decisive victory has been won. It's only a matter of time. The enemy is retreating. VE Day is still to come. The final full experience of Jesus' victory is yet to come. But listen to me, the decisive battle has already taken place. Now, the enemy can still do damage. There's still a combatant. They can still take people out, take hostages, cause casualties, but they are retreating. God wins, and God has already won. That's the story you're living in. The book of Revelation is a vision of the future to shape your living in the present the same way that in World War II, the invasion of Normandy was this great sense of hope, this great sense of urgency, this great sense that the tide has turned. Jesus' death on the cross is the same thing for you and I. And because we know the end of the story, because we know the battle is won, because we know the enemy is retreating, because we know the victory has already been secured, that defines how we live right now. So listen, let me just ask you this question. What story are you living by? What vision of the good life are you pursuing? What telos, what end, what goal, what desired future gets you out of bed in the morning? The book of Revelation is designed to change the answer to that question. The book of Revelation is in the Bible so that the kingdom of God is what begins to define your story. So that God's sweeping work of redemption begins to become the meta-narrative that defines your life and your existence. But look, what story are you living in right now? There's an alternative to this story. I mean, this isn't the only meta-narrative. This isn't the only way of understanding reality that's out there, right? There's, your culture tells you a different story every day of your life. And the dominant storyline, the dominant meta-narrative, really the only other game in town, if, if you decide this isn't the story that truly defines reality, the only really other choice you have is the story of Darwinistic naturalism. 
It's an accident that you're here. There's no meaning or purpose for your existence. And there's really no future for you to live for. So grab all you can while you're here. Live for your own goals, your own desires, your own pleasure. And when you die, that's it. And listen to me. A lot of you guys have bought into that story. And I just want to ask, how's that working? How fulfilling is that? Is living for your own kingdom really bringing what it promises? Look, only one of those stories is true. And so you've got to ask the question, which one is it? The story written by God, the Creator, says it's not accidental that you're here. You're here because God has put you here. And and when you die, that's not the end. That's, in fact, very early in the beginning. There's a way bigger cosmic story that brings significance and meaning to your life. You you and I are, are players. We're caught up in part of this story. We play a role. But God is the main character. God is the star. God is the one who created everything, who sustains everything, who's bringing everything to completion. It's all about Jesus and His glory and the redemption and restoration of the world He intended for us to have. Will that be the story? that defines your life. Let's pray together. God, we acknowledge that as humans, we are teleological beings. All of us are living for something. Some of us haven't even thought about what that something is. We haven't even stepped back to ask the question, what am I living for? And I pray that this morning, that would be the start. That for some of us, we we just ask that question. That might be the work that you have for us to do this morning, is just beginning to step back from our lives and ask, what am I living for? Father, for many others, the things we are living for have begun to ring hollow. We've begun to see the foolishness of what we've given ourselves to. I pray for those in that category that they would be swept up in the significance and the beauty of your story. That they would find their identity in Jesus, in his new kingdom that he has begun right now as He calls a people to Himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. God, there are some who are Christians and who truly love You and worship You and just um, are living no different of a story than anyone else around them because instead of letting Your story ring truest in their lives, they've bought into cultural narratives and other ways of defining reality and they're pursuing everything that everyone else around us is pursuing pray for us that the book of Revelation would call us to repentance and to change. Jesus, thank you that you 
have defined the story, that you have defined reality. And I pray that you would save us from the foolishness that often accompanies people's understanding of revelation. That for us, instead of being caught up in foolish controversies and arguments for argument's sake, we would see the great magnitude and importance of this book for how it defines our lives. That we would be formed as your people so that we might live for your glory in the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name.